Welcome to Tripod, our travel retail themed podcast series in collaboration with the SEVA Group. I'm Martin Moody. I'm Roger Jackson. Roger, thanks for being with us again. Now, today we have not just a special guest, we have an extraordinary guest who's been on a life journey that I think is almost impossible uh, for most of us to imagine. A guest with a story to tell, some incredible story to tell. So shall we bring her in? Yeah, let's get Stephanie in. So today's special guest, very special guest indeed, is Stephanie Rodriguez, the founder and champion of WandaSafe, a personal safety electronic device and app, especially suitable for women in lone travel or other potentially vulnerable situations. Now, the story of WandaSafe is a compelling one, and we'll talk about that today. But the story and the journey of Stephanie is nothing short of extraordinary. I'm just going to sum that up briefly before we speak to Stephanie. WandaSafe launched into travel retail in 2018. It got off to a roaring start. Stephanie was doing everything in her power with enormous energy to champion it. And that culminated in a business trip to Nigeria in September 2019, an ill-fated business trip because she was bitten by mosquitoes during a photo session. And while at first there was no adverse reaction, there soon would be. And at Boston Logan Airport in the US later that month, Stephanie suddenly felt uh, desperately ill as she was about to depart for Australia where she lives following a short trip to the States. And soon afterwards, she fell into a coma. The diagnosis, cerebral malaria. Now, over the ensuing weeks in a Boston hospital, she had the last rites administered three times, having suffered acute septic shock and organ failure. Now, expert medical skill pulled her through just, but her struggles were anything but over. You see, the intense treatment had saved her life, but had it affected the body's extremities. And as a result, Stephanie spent most of 2020 in a bunch of Sydney hospitals in a battle to save her dying feet and hands, including, would you believe, 28 operations to her feet. Nothing worked, essentially. Her heel bones were dying. And if she was to walk again, Stephanie would need a double amputation of both feet to be replaced by robotic artificial limbs. And that duly happened on 31st of March, 2021, just a few months ago. Stephanie had both feet amputated. She had titanium rods inserted into her shin bones and she spent weeks with the physios learning how to walk again. And I'm very delighted to say that she's done that in great style. She's done that, all of that and much more. Just uh, in December, late last year, she took her first international flight in over two years. Believe it or not, she's even giving a TED talk in South Africa in March. This is some woman. As I wrote when we named Stephanie one of the Moody Davitt reports, People of the Year in 2021, it's a case of Wonder Safe meets Wonder Woman. Stephanie Rodriguez, welcome to the show. Thank you, Martin. I'm just really humbled and grateful, as I am every day, but particularly this day, to be here and having this conversation with you guys. Well, we're very honoured to have you with us, Stephanie. It has been some journey, and uh, Roger and I have been looking forward to this chat for, for lots of reasons. I'm going to pass over to my younger, better-looking co-host now, Roger, to kick us off. Hey, Stephanie, I hope you're well. I'm good, thank you. 
I don't think uh, we've been as humble to have a, a guest like you on, so uh, we've been really looking forward to this one. Um, I guess we always start from where it began, uh, Stephanie. So I guess early life, growing up, what were your key influences? Um, I was a bit of a, an oddball. Uh, I'm a middle child and uh, had an eye for fashion and design. Um, I used to make wedding dress, uh, prom dresses for my classmates for school formals and was dubbed, I think in my year 10 school newsletter to be the next uh, Victor, you know, Gloria Vanderbilt. So loved fashion and, you know, beautiful things and design. And you hybrid that with my passion for technology. I learned my first bit of code in 1988 and that was when all the screens were black and all the writing was green um so i guess you could say i'm a little bit of a geek in a dress but uh loved love technology but not technology as in computers because they're very not sexy but i love the problems that technology solves so i kind of take the creative part of design as it were with fashion and textiles and using my hands i love to cook and kind of putting it all together in the solutions that we've been creating uh both in the travel space and and beyond since you know my very early days of running a marketing firm but uh, you know, in, in being kind of a jack of all trades and a master of none studying business, you know, I never, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was young, but unfortunately with dyslexia, um, I couldn't pass chemistry. So my dreams of being a marine biologist were thrown out the window in year 10, but always an eye for business and wanting to, you know, change the world in some way. And such as it is, that's what we're, that's where we are, but didn't, you know, design, innovation, and uh, problem solving were kind of my wheelhouse. How did you end up setting Josie for Women? You know, what led you into creating that and getting to this point now? Well, uh, it's funny because the Moody Davitt Report has an in interesting interlacing of history for that. Um, I was, I owned a digital marketing agency. I had been in publishing, but after the bubble burst, um, got mad at the internet, I went into print and lifestyle media and uh, pivoted away from print in 2004. Um, and it was at the time when SSP, the food travel experts were moving into Sydney International Airport. And I got invited to the launch of their outlets uh, with a media crew. And I, I think Martin might've actually been there. I think he was there for the opening of the SSP outlets in Sydney International Airport. And I met one of the board members from SSP and I was taking photos and I was posting them to social media and talking about long lead media versus digital media. And he was quite senior and he was very curious as to what I was doing. And I said, all these articles, you know, Qantas and everyone that's here, it's going to take him three months to tell your story, but you know what? I just told everyone and they were like, really? And so that started a conversation. I began to work with SSP as a consultant and uh, I was at the, uh, I think it was the fab in the Middle East and was invited to um, to speak uh, at TFWA in Singapore in 2014. But, you know, the Trinity in Taipei, um, travel retail meetings in China. But I would fly all the time as a woman by myself and without having a team of people to move around in, often found myself in situations that were maybe not appropriate for women. And uh, I was uh, in Geneva working with SSP in the airport. 
I booked my hotel from an online travel agency and I got, I arrived very late, very tired, 40 hour trip, got up in the morning to go for a walk around Lake Geneva before taking the train over to the airport. And uh, we were near the, the GAR station, the main station of Geneva. Um, anyways, I got in the elevator at about seven o'clock in the morning to go for this run in my tracksuit, no makeup, and this giant Eastern European man, and he was like six, six easily, put his hands on my shoulders in the elevator, and he said, how much do I take? And I was like, I didn't even know what he meant. And it took me a few seconds for the penny to drop. And when the elevator hit the lobby, I wrestled under his arms, I ran outside, caught my breath, and looked up and realized I was in the middle of the red light district. I didn't even know Geneva had a red light district, but I somehow managed to book my hotel right smack dab in the middle of it. And it was kind of that experience of why is not there enough information about safe spaces? And at the time, the rise of female travelers was rising. Uh, you know, in 2019, there were 850 million women traveling and making up 55% of all hotel room nights. So in starting a, a, a source of information related specifically to safety was the genesis of Jozu. Jozu is a Japanese word. It means well done or better than. And uh, it was actually taught to me by an ex-boyfriend. So naming my company Jozu for Women and wanting to help women travel better and safer was the intent in 2016. Um, we kind of launched our platform as a safe space for women to share travel information around location safety, but uh, we, we pivoted in 2017 with some advice from Silicon Valley about the need for more inclusive solutions. So although Josie for Women is the parent company, we launched the brand Wander Safe because it's neutral and for everyone, anyone who feel, feels vulnerable. And that kind of was the, 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 the genesis and the growth of a concept that, you know, designed by women for women, but then turning more inclusive so that we can support everybody. Okay. Wow. That's some journey. Yeah, it's some story, isn't it? And obviously, as I said in the intro, Stephanie, things were going pretty well. I remember at the time, you know, we were, we were, we were covering your story. You were championing this concept, this new product with your trademark energy and kind of the world uh, looked pretty good. And then, of course, you mm -hmm. took that fateful, fateful trip. Um, and inevitably, that's what we're going to concentrate on today. We'll come back on WandaSafe because that's really important, an important product for, for our times, for any times, in fact. But let's talk about you, what's happened, what's happened since. You know, I, I outlined the medical procedure in some detail earlier, but I mean, that's just the tiny tip of a very, very large iceberg. Just tell us about that journey and how it's reshaped you uh, mentally, as well as, of course, physically and spiritually. Um, I, I think we both and all our listeners will just wonder how you have coped with this extraordinary journey and how it's changed you. Um. Well, uh, one is, again, being an ex model and, you know, very appearance conscious. Uh, you know, there's just it's just been a transformation. But, you know, when when I got sick, I had been in Africa and then gone on to India, did a week in Africa, a week in India, came back to Australia, changed my luggage, flew to Boston, like literally the next day. I had flown 40,000 kilometers in a two week spell 
And that's the definition of stupidity because I don't even think flight attendants do that. I think there's limits on how much the body should take. So, you know, I hadn't been listening to my body when it said, you're really tired. And I, and I, you know, soldier on the, the good, you know, where we're from, Martin, our good, you know, be tough and hang in their attitude. Um, so when I woke up in Boston, you know, with my business partner, Fiona, who was with me in Connell launched, it was um, incredibly disconcerting because it was like, where, where did my dreams go? And I had said multiple times in 2019, I went to the UN in Geneva, stood up and said, I'm on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2025. And the thing about intention I've learned and goal setting is if you say something enough and you put your energy into it, you're going to manifest it. And I had, you know, what I was saying about what I wanted to do, um, you know, it, uh, in some ways I joke that the, re the universe recalibrated to help me get there. Now it didn't come fast and it didn't come without some costs, those costs being time, those costs being physical pain, etc. So in looking at what the cost of that vision or dream manifested might look like, um, the, the surgeries and the, the time in hospital to have every nerve ending in your body because we are a, a whole universe of nerve endings that go from our head to our toes. You know, today is a special day. You guys don't know this, but it is February 15th. And today is the anniversary of two years ago today that I went into the hospital, a whole person and woke up a different person. I lost all oh. 10 of my toes and my heel caps on this day two years ago. So, you know, a little bit of an anniversary of sorts, a, a kind of a reflection on where we've come and how far we've come. But in waking up, you know, one, where am I? What's going on? And the uncertainty, I, I don't know what's gonna happen. And because the doctors never had a cerebral malaria slash sepsis survivor patient, because no one lives from this thing. You know, it has a more than a 97% kill rate. So you think about what wasn't known about the next steps. You know, it wasn't like cancer or, you know, something else. You, you get your arm set if it's broken. It was like, who knows? And that journey began, but through this, and you asked about the spiritual aspects and mental. My son is by far one of my driving forces of my recovery even though at the time when I got sick, he was only 13. But I recall, you know, he was by my bedside. I was bandaged. I was, when I woke up, I was unrecognizable. They put 11 liters of fluid in me and turned me blue like a Smurf. These drugs they gave me, literally, I was, I was the Michelin, a big Michelin Smurf. <laughs> so, you know, what people knew of what I looked like, I didn't even look like, but I didn't look like myself to me. And they made sure I didn't see a mirror for a long time because I would have probably been more traumatized, but just having my hands and feet bandaged and, and all of that. But my son said, mom, life is, you know, 10% what you're given and 90% what you do with it. And I think, you know, there's so much innocence in that, but wisdom. And it was really up to me whether I was going to you know, to have a pity party for myself. And some days I did, I was angry because the doctors gave my family the option to give me vasopressors when it was the last thing that they could do. They said, if we give her 100% of these drugs, that may or may not save her life, because we don't, we don't think, like their data said, it's over. But they said, we can, we can have a go, we can try this. And they did. And uh, it, because of those drugs, I lived, but I lived, you know, 
with damages and collateral damage, if you would. So in living with collateral damage, um, being completely vulnerable, and, and Martin, I know you've had your share of health scares and things, but that there's nothing like being stripped of your personal dignity, your privacy. You don't own your life in hospital. You have no control, very little control over what you eat, when you sleep, you know, what people do to you, whether you like it or not. Um, and when I woke up, I was unable to touch my own nose. So think about all the things I could not do if I couldn't even do this and requiring help and being completely and utterly helpless and paralyzed um, just was made me vulnerable in places I hadn't been vulnerable before. But the silver lining or the collateral beauty of that is that I'm, so many people were extraordinarily kind, like people who reached out to me. I was off social media for more than 40 days because I couldn't open a phone or a laptop. So no one heard from me. It was, it was TFWA. Uh, the word spread through the cocktail party. I've heard that, you know, steps on a deathbed and people were praying and speaking on me and, and, and intentioning for me. Adil Rahani, of course, flew himself right after TFWA to my bedside. So in, in thinking of what I got to experience, which was extraordinary kindness, me, the doer, the giver, all of a sudden had to be on the receiving end. I could not say no because I couldn't do anything else. So that was one of, one of the lessons was extraordinary kindness. Um, I learned about positive patience, and I talk about this in my TED Talk, but in my book, because it's really easy to get frustrated about the stuff you can't do. Like, I couldn't walk. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And in that, all the energy that you have being frustrated about the stuff that you can't do, even in the pandemic when we couldn't move around or whatever, like, you know, the flip side of that is being patient and going, it might not be now. But in due time, things will be as they should be and trying to keep a positive mindset. And I really believe that mindset is so, so, so important. You can approach things negative or positive, but happiness is a conscious choice. I firmly believe that you choose. It doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't take the inconvenience away. It's just how you see that lens in life is really up to you. And, you know, stuff got really real for me. Stephanie, let me just take you back to the night before the operation then. You were contemplating, you know, a life-changing operation in every sense. Just tell us about your emotions that night. Well, I was very fortunate because a good friend of mine had a birthday on Valentine's Day. So I had been at a birthday lunch in my wheelchair. We went from lunch to a boat, which is very Sydney Harbor. We went on the boat for a couple of hours. So, and it was like almost the last hurrah, if you would. And I was in terrible pain, Martin, I, you know, the, the decomposing tissue on my feet and, and uh, the pain I was in was always hard. The inconvenience was harder. And, you know, my feet had necroticized the tissues that was dead had been, we, this was now February and I got injured in like September, October. So I really needed the surgery. So I didn't really have a choice, but I just remember the uncertainty and one of my very good girlfriends, her name's Julie, she came in an Uber and she took me to hospital that day. She escorted me in an Uber. We were there, we had the wheelchair, my hospital bag. And I cried the entire time in the Uber. I just bawled my eyes. I literally felt like dead man walking. Like I was gonna go here and the outcome was uncertainty. And you know, like I, like, no, no one could tell me, would I walk again? Would my feet close? Like, would I wear shoes? Like, I didn't know anything. And it was just very final, but 
I couldn't get off the bus. It, I had to do this because the risk of infection and the pain was overriding any of my fear. Like it was, it was harrowing to say the least, but quite an emotional, you know, inflection point, but grief, loss, sadness, and uncertainty would probably be the top four. Stephanie, when, when did you know it was all going to be okay? You're obviously a really positive person. Um, and I only think someone with your capability or, you know, natural agility could get through something like this. But when did you actually know it was going to be all okay? And when was that? Um, I never know if it's going to be okay. Even yesterday I was visiting my hand surgeon because I, I'm going to require more surgery on my right hand. I lost, you know, muscle tissue from uh, a pressure blister that ruptured an artery in the heel of my right hand and lost, you know, parts of my index finger and muscle. So I'm a work in progress, like forever and suffering severe septic shock and recovery just on the sepsis portion of that has, it comes with it, you know, some life after sepsis called post-septic shock syndrome. So I don't ever know when when something's going to break down or what that might look like. I had equipment failure on my trip to the U.S. with my prosthetics, and that was pretty scary. And, I, you know, not knowing where the nearest person was who could help me, uh, and I was unable to walk because literally one of my prosthetic screws that screws into my leg was loosened. That never happened, you know. <laughs> and then who would know how to screw back in? So, you know, it's, it's I think, taught me how to just breathe and trust the universe that everything is happening as it should be. A very wise woman said to me, the universe doesn't conspire against you. It's actually conspiring with you. And when we see these uncertainties, the universe is not building a wall. You gotta see it as building a bridge. And that stuck with me, you know, since we spoke in October, this woman and I in 2019, that the universe was building a bridge. And I look, my bridge has been two years. And I only lost my feet a year ago. So a year in the hospital plus so many surgeries, you know, so much uncertainty, uncertainty about the future. But I, I, I guess I just have resigned to this kind of faith that, you know, clearly it wasn't my time then, but, and when it is, it will be, but until then, it's like the Jack London quote from 007, you know, the movie, the, the recent one, and then uh, M is reading a passage and it says, you know, I will not use my days trying to prolong them. I will use my time. And I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get one, that's exactly what I'd write on my body. I will use my time because, you know, it's, we, we, we're not promised tomorrow. And that's really kind of what, one of the other really big themes here is, uh, you know, we all thought, think we're going to live forever until we get surprised at the advent that we won't. And it, it is transformational. You know, you do think differently about life, problem solving and how you spend your effort. Like I live very intentionally now. I do the things that matter. I tell people I love them. I express gratitude. And I also say I'm sorry because you just never know when the sun's going to go down and, and you don't get to see the next sunrise. How about your son? How's he handled the whole thing. I see on social media a lot, um, some beautiful scenes of you and him and some very heart-wrenching scenes from, from earlier on in your, in your journey. Um, just describe that relationship and how important that's been in. Well, 
He's a, he's a legend, my son. Um, I'm a single mom and I have been for a couple of years now. And, you know, growing a teenage boy and, you know, the importance of being a role model, um, you know, what children live, what they learn. And so if he saw me coming undone at, with problems, like simple problems or big problems, you know, his optimism and, you know, some people say he's fatally optimistic, but, you know, he, he always, and he's been interviewed on my story before and having listened to him articulate what he went through because I wasn't there to see that or bear witness to it. But he just, you know, he says he always believed that I would come good. It never, whilst the doctors were giving him bad news, he just wouldn't accept that in his own mind, that he always just believed we would, we would come through this. And it's funny because, because I still have to do all the mom things while being the patient, you know, like laundry and school homework and calendar management and things like that, uh, you know, that sometimes even forgets that I, I have a limiting ability. I don't like the word disability, but you know, that I am limb different, that I can't do everything I used to do. I can't just jump up and do whatever. And he's got to help me. And, and he just, you know, his, his perception of me hasn't been, oh, my mom's disabled now. You know, I like kids can be unkind. And, you know, at one point, very early in the piece, one of his school uh, cohorts was bullying him about his mother being in a wheelchair. And he almost got in a fight and he came home like up in arms about it. And I was it's like, okay, you know, violence doesn't solve anything in one tone, but almost proud of him for taking a stand on how he felt and being willing to say that's not okay. You know, much like school, boys need to express their testosterone on schoolyards, especially at that young age of puberty. But he's, he's incredibly resilient. He's self-driven. He's an artist. Uh, he's building his own musical career, which I'm terribly proud of. Um, we just, funny enough, we just made our first TikTok one. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's hilarious. Uh, and, you know, TikTok was a craze that happened when I was in the hospital. And frankly, in a learning how to be in a wheelchair, not a dancer. <laughs> so this TikTok is quite funny because it represents so many uh, fun things. But our first collaboration, you know, mother and son and artist has been our TikTok video. That's a Valentine's video that's just out on my socials right now and on my TikTok account. It's pretty cute. Yeah, I, I saw it, Stephanie. It's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Back to you, Roger, before I take Stephanie to our resident uh, duty-free island uh, in a moment, but uh, just close out this section for us, Roger, if you will. Stephanie, you've mentioned uh, quite a few different people, quotes and friends and um, you know other people in the industry. Would there be any uh, key life mentors or influences on, on your life, whether it was before your operation or after? Um, I, I am blessed to have the counsel of so many smart people to make up for the fact that my mother wasn't a successful entrepreneur. Um, I did my, my father, I met very much later in life and he passed away early. So I really have looked to my business mentors to give me those things for which I didn't have organically transcending, like in family dynasties, if you would. And, you know, from the advice of, of smart people like Sunil Tuli, who's an investor in my company, uh, to Adil Rahani, who's like my younger brother, to particularly my business partner, investor, mentor, and friend, Fiona O'Donnell, who you know brought my product to market with me. She's a successful businesswoman in her own right in non-related 
travel retail industries, nothing to do with uh, electronics, beauty. In fact, she runs childcare centers and and property. So really different backgrounds. But you know, she's astute and she gives me guidance. And and I've been you know really lucky to have people like her in my corner who have supported me on this journey, and also you know given me their professional advice to help him help take me on that journey with them. So I'd have to say, you know, in, in the duty-free space, um, you know, mentors like Sunil, who've given me their professional advice on, on Asia Pacific, et cetera. And then of course the women in travel retail that I have a great deal of respect for, um, whether they know it or not. And, uh, and then of course, Fiona would be my top three. Okay. Sounds like a strong team. It, it does indeed. Well, Stephanie, we're going to take you to our, our resident uh, desert island now. It does enjoy duty-free status, of course. Hey! And we're going to give you there because you deserve some creature comforts more than any other guest that we've had on our show. So we're going to, I'm going to pass back over to Roger and we're going to offer you a few things to make you stay on the island just that little much more enjoyable. Over to you, Roger. Hi, Stephanie. You've arrived on the island. You're allowed one book or one piece of reading uh, for your stay on the island. What, what would you bring? What would I bring? I think I'd bring the collection of short stories by F. Scott Fitzgerald because he by far is my favorite writer. He had a knack for storytelling and taking you and transporting you to times and places that were before my time or further away. But, you know, certainly uh, the short stories, the, it's, a, it's a thick book um, of F, F. Scott Fitzgerald would be my must bring. Fantastic, at least you'll have plenty of time to read it. Mm -hmm. um, we usually allow every guest to have one GC free item of choice. Given the fact that um, you are a female and you're going to be on a desert island, I'm going to let you bring two. I'm presuming one of them is going to be your own product, um, but you're allowed two items to buy from GT Free before you arrive. Well, I, mine would already be in my bag, but if it were a deserted island, I wouldn't really have to worry about safety now, would I? Except for if I wanted to call for help if I got a flat tire. And that is, of course, something that my, my product does. Um, but if considering it's a desert island, I would say a great pair of sunglasses um, because, of course, got to keep the uh, UV out of your eyes. Um, and um, Simon Jablin's company, Linda Farrow, makes some amazing sunglasses. So I would have to say something from Simon's company, Linda Farrow, would be on my uh, wish list. And uh, really good sunblock would be my second thing, essential very good items and essential items. Uh, and finally from me, music, either one album or one song that you could take. I would take um, Africa Rising by Black Coffee. Uh, Black oh, Coffee is a South African uh, house DJ. Yeah, he's here, he's in Dubai. Um, he's playing Expo <laughs> tomorrow night. So. Oh my goodness, bucket list, like so oh. bucket list, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I was very happy to hear you say F. Scott Fitzgerald, Stephanie. My, I suppose I have read The Great Gatsby on about 15 occasions. I studied at university 100 years ago, and I've read it um, so many times since 
I particularly like a phrase on the final page of that book. I think it's the most beautiful piece of writing in the English language, perhaps. And it's uh, the, the quote I've often drawn on it in terms of travel retail and, and, and struggle and struggle running, running a business within. And that's, you know, the quote very well. So we beat on boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful quote. And he's a, he mm. was an extraordinary, extraordinary author. Um, on this desert island, we're going to treat you to a pretty wonderful dinner. And we're going to fly in three guests. They can be from history or they can be living today. Um, for your select dinner, you are the hostess with the mostest. Who's it going to be? Um, I think I'd like to have another meal with Sir Richard Branson because I did go to Necker Island to his home um, in 2018. Okay. Uh, so I'd love to catch up with Richard again because he does inspire me as an entrepreneur and a person who's also dyslexic. Um, I think Nelson Mandela, because of his humility and experience and personal strength. Yeah. And I think black coffee so he can play some music after dinner. <laughs> I'm I selfish. <laughs> uh, well, that would, that would be some dinner party for sure. All right. Well, you also deserve a bit of a, a perk at the end of, uh, of, of this experience of talking to me and Roger, but also of uh, what you've been through. Um, so we're going to take you to any holiday destination in the world once we take you off the desert island. can be anywhere um, that you've been or, or, or not been that is in your bucket list. Where would it be and why, Stephanie? Uh, I think I'd like to go back to Belize, just um, Belize or Puerto Rico, where I'm from. My family come from there and I haven't been home in a long time, but I tend to gravitate towards warm climates and palm trees and turquoise blue water. My dad used to tell me that God made my eyes this color of blue so I don't forget where I come from because the Caribbean Sea is the same, we have the same color. So um, the Caribbean is a region because it's made up of so many islands, but uh, I'll take any of them at this point, but Belize and Puerto Rico are my two faves and uh, anywhere where there's a nice breeze, a clean ocean, and uh, a good cocktail. All right, no one deserves that trip more than you. You mentioned God, and I just wanted to close on that, um, given what you've been through. Are you a spiritual person? You have a God? Absolutely, I do, I do. And I'm not sure what it's her, his, its name is, because um, you know I, I believe that faith is boundless, but uh, I would certainly say that in going through something like this, it does test your faith and to believe that things are afoot that are bigger than us and that we are interconnected and past, present and future and those dimensions that, that the things that we do and our souls continue on. Um, so I'm a little bit of a, uh, my son used to call me a closet Buddhist because he would say, mom, a lot of the way you feel is a very Buddhist philosophy about tolerance and about souls yep. and about choices. But um, I was raised in a very fundamental Christian family, very strict. Uh, and, you know, their God was a very strict and, and one full of uh, lightning rods and, and fear, which I, I don't tend to share that same philosophy but certainly know that there has been the hand of something on my life. And I believe that that struggle in my hours of dire experience 
was a battle of good and evil. And because I'd set my sights on a very lofty, a billion lives by 2025 goal, that, you know, evil didn't really like that. And good was like, we're going to make that happen. She said it, she's going to do it. And here I sit. So, you know, I sit in gratitude every single day for the chance to raise my son, the chance to live that mission and fulfill it. And, you know, and, and when I, there are things that I don't understand or I can't, you know, make sense of, you know, I, I have to just throw my hands up and say, okay, it's in your hands. I'm, I'm here to serve. And, and in taking that position of, of, of just acceptance of self and believing that we are all connected to that divine and each other, you know, kind of just reinforces the values that I have on everything that I do. Okay. Well, Stephanie, you've inspired a lot of people with, um, with your battle, and I will call it a battle. It's been an immense one. You stared down death, uh, you came through it, and then you've gone through, oh, one of the most traumatic, uh, life-changing surgeries that one could possibly I imagine. Um, and yet we see you uh, today full of energy, full of life, full of uh, commitment towards your product and its purpose. It is a product with purpose, Wonder Safe. It's going to make women of the world and others vulnerable in the world safer uh, on the streets or wherever they may be. And, and I think that's fantastic. And I think hopefully the travel retail industry will get it behind it, Stephanie, because it's exactly the kind of uh, product that uh, our, our sector should be championing and selling. Um, we mentioned God, may your God uh, go with you. May you, may you keep uh, getting better, Stephanie. You've you've defied all the you've defied all the odds, um, and I'm sure <laughs> you're going to continue to doing that. But we know your journey's not over. You made that point very very well. But uh, Roger and I, and certainly everybody who will be watching the show, will wish you all the best going forward, and and thank you for inspiring all of us. You're welcome. My TED talk will probably take about three months until it's online, so probably by June. It'll be released, um, but we're very excited, Martin, and, and you didn't know this, but um, I've just found out, in fact, this morning that a news crew from a TV network here in Australia will be following my journey to South Africa because we're extending beyond that TED Talk and doing the Be the Beacon tour. So we're going to Lesotho in, in inside South Africa, the Kingdom of Lesotho, to work with uh, disadvantaged women's groups. We'll be in Joburg and in Cape Town. Uh, talking about Wander Safe, talking about Be the Beacon and empowering women and vulnerable people in the next coming month. So, you know, in, in my socials, you'll see lots of that, but, you know, the chance to amplify that vision and story and uh, continue the work we started, which we, you know, we're on the bench for two years, but we're certainly going to give it all we can in 20. My hashtag is so much to do in 2022. Oh, Roger, final word from you. Um, Stephanie, just big thank you um i know we've just had under an hour but i feel like i could talk to you for probably another three hours uh i've got so many questions and i'm going to be following you on uh instagram as soon as i uh, as soon as we finish this but yeah i just want to hear more so to hear that you're going to have a that the docu-series is fantastic because yeah. i'll be tuning in well, thank you. And, and, you know, my book, Thank You, Mrs. Carter, is due out this year, too, which is my memoir. So, you know, hopefully we'll bring some of those in the suitcase to come. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's going to be exciting to to see how this story, because I know how it tra transformed me, but I just really hope that by telling this story, 
that it can inspire other people, you know, to find the collateral beauty and, and uh, negative situations and find the strength. Cause I think that whatever's in me, it actually exists in everybody. They're just never brought to the challenge of really having to dig deep in that way. But, you know, I, I don't think I'm unique and special. I just think that I'm an example. Stephanie, just to, just to close, you, you, you're right now, you've got your, your two artificial limbs, your feet. When you look at them every day, what do, what do you think? You think they're things of beauty? Um, well, they're actually kind of perfectly and perfectly perfect because although they're not mine and they are carbon metal with a silicone slipper on the top that looks like a foot that I treat like my hand so that my brain associates with it. So there, there's a part of um, amputations and prosthetics is the mind's acceptance of the prosthetic is just as much essential as an organ being accepted into the body. You know, when you see something that's foreign, there's a lot of mental association that is essential. And I didn't, the first, I know we're running out of time, but the first couple of weeks I had my prosthetics, I always had shoes on and I never saw my feet. So my brain wasn't accepting and I had phantom limb. And it was one day that I took my shoes and my socks off and I just looked at them and they looked like feet, but there's no calluses, there's no hangnails, there's not chipped polish, like they're actually perfect you know and I was like wow you know I'm kind of lucky because I, I didn't have bad feet before I had nice feet but these are you know callous free and and uh so I I do make jokes about them but I love the functionality for which you know and I I make jokes about the fact that yes I'm augmented limb different but I'm also bionic and that's kind of cool because I can walk in the snow with no shoes or on glass and you can't, you know, uh, women love their, their footwear. And, uh, you know, I love a good pair of, of Christian Louboutins or Manolo Blahniks and those aren't comfortable. And any woman that tells you they are is lying, but, but I can stand in Louboutins now for 12 hours and not feel a thing. I'm the last girl on the dance floor. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had to find the, the joy and the, the, the collateral beauty behind the, the limb difference, what would be perceived as deformity or, or you know, the, like a negative on losing something, rather than focus on what I lost, I just am grateful, one, that it's, it gives me the ability to walk, to take my dog out, to go in a supermarket by myself. You know, I'm really grateful for the functionality, but they're actually not ugly, so <laughs> they work, they just work. There you go. I think a perfect note to end on. Stephanie Rodriguez, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you have you with us. Keep well. Can't wait to, to dance at the scene with everybody. We'll be there. We'll be there. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. See you. Bye-bye. Well, Roger, very quick reaction to uh, that most astounding conversation. Yeah, Martin, I, you know, not many times can I say I'm lost for words. Um, what an amazing woman is pretty much how I would describe that. I, you've mentioned Stephanie to me for quite a few weeks now, and, you know, I wasn't as close to her story. I, I'd read a few bits, obviously, in um, the Moody Report, but I'm completely blown away, you know, listening to Stephanie, her journey, her outlook, her attitude, actually. Um, is just phenomenal and I think she said something at the end around look everyone's capable of this I'm not actually sure Stephanie um, I know she's left us now I'm not sure they are 
actually. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, would have given up. And um, I, I can't wait to meet Stephanie. She mentioned Count, so I'm hoping I actually get to meet her physically. Um, and I can't wait to hear more about her and her products as well. And, you know, for someone to have a goal of reaching a billion women, um, you know, most people would think about reaching a thousand. Um, it just shows what a special woman she is. Um, so, Martin, big thanks to you for, for getting Stephanie on and big thanks to Stephanie for that last hour because that was really, truly remarkable. Yeah, it, it certainly was. All right, Roger. Well, look, thanks as always for your good company and your great co-hosting. Um, but for now, this is Martin Moody signing off from Tripod. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>